Good morning. So good to be with you this morning. It's so good. You know, one of the things that has been really uh, interesting to me during this quarantine time and the time apart is your haircuts. Uh, some of you have had to learn to cut your own hair, and that's been really fun for me. I hope, it, uh, <laughs> I hope you get over that really soon. I hope you're able to grow your hair back and go to uh, a barber. Uh, thank you so much for being here, and thank you so much for your continued support of this congregation. You know, one of the things that I don't think is mentioned enough is how our contribution has not only remained steady, it has actually grown during this time. Thank you so much for that. It's allowed us to send some more money to Ecuador and to our brothers and sisters there. And so that's a great thing. And thank you so much for your uh, tuning in online while we were apart. Uh, our, our online traction was really good and we appreciate that. And thank you too for um, just kind of going along with the re recommendations of our elders. Thank you for, you know, complying with that. I know that these are difficult times. You know, people say these are uncertain times. You know what? They've always been uncertain times. It's always been uncertain, and we'll get through this, and I appreciate all of us pulling together. We're talking about Jesus being the Word as we continue our series, Jesus Is. And it reminds me of a story of a young man that was about to go off to the front lines in World War II. And just before leaving, he hugged his wife and his small child, and he said, I'll be back. As he was gone, for four years, the mother would show her, her, her baby boy a picture every day of his daddy, her husband, and say, this is daddy. He'll be coming home soon, not knowing if he would ever return. And finally, one day, the little boy looked at his mommy and said, mommy, wouldn't it be great if Jesus, excuse me, if Daddy just stepped out of the picture frame? And that's what John chapter 1 is. It's God stepping out of the picture frame. It is Jesus coming to life, showing us what God looks like in the flesh. Read with me John chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but He came to testify about the light. There was the true light which came, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth." John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Two young men were on the battlefield during World War II, and they were in a foxhole 
and they looked out across the landscape and they see the craters in the ground caused by cannon fire. They see the twisted barbed wire. They see dead soldiers, wounded soldiers crying out for help. One of them turned to the other and said, where's God? And then they looked out and they saw the Red Cross weaving their way through the battlefield and, and loading wounded soldiers on, onto cots and carrying them off. And the other one looked at his friend in the foxhole and said, there, there's God. John chapter 1 is answering the question, where's God? He's here. He dwelt among us. There is God. It's interesting how John begins his gospel, isn't it? Matthew and Luke begin their gospel with the birth record of Jesus. Right? John does too, just in a different way. He doesn't go back to a babe in a manger. He goes back to the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, showing that creation was indeed a collaborative effort. God the Father was there, but so was the Son, Jesus Christ, the one they called the Word. And what does that mean? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that words are used to communicate, right? And so God is communicating something new here through the person of Jesus Christ. He sent His Son as a form of communication. And that's really nothing unusual because He's done this before. He's communicated through a burning bush. He's communicated through a donkey. He's communicated by a disembodied hand writing on a wall. So God is using this form of communication to bring a new word and a message about the kingdom. What is the gist of all of this? Well... While that's a multi-layered answer, the gist of it all really is this. I'm here. I'm here. God is here. God stepped out of the picture frame. And he's coming in the form of Jesus to show humanity what God looks like. You ever wonder why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the Gospels? You ever wondered that? Maybe it's because they contain the Gospel. Novel thought, isn't it? You know... The Gospels are not just a genre of literature. The Gospel writers wouldn't have seen the Gospels in the same way that we do today. In fact, they wouldn't have used the plural. We talk about the Gospels, and that kind of implies that there's many different Gospels, right? But there's not. The way the early Christians would have looked at the Gospels, they would have seen it as the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John. They would have seen them as separate accounts of one gospel. F.F. Bruce said this. He said that to call the four gospels the gospels was an expression in the New Testament times that was unheard of, an impossible expression, he says. While each of those books would have been called the gospel, no one referred to them in the plural form, which means that the gospel accounts are not simply written by biographers but by witnesses of the gospel, the story of Jesus. Each and every one of these detail the gospel. And what is the gospel? Well, unfortunately, we have reduced the gospel down to hear, repent, confess, and be baptized. That's not the gospel. That is how we respond to the gospel, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is simply this. It is the story of Israel finding its completion in the story of Jesus. And every one of the gospel accounts points to this. Have you noticed that? 
Every one of them talks about Jesus' fulfillment of the story of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And all of the gospel writers refer to this as the completion of the story of Israel. They go back to the Old Testament, which drives me nuts when people say, we don't need the Old Testament today because we are New Testament Christians. That's baloney. And John would take issue with that because John certainly believed that we need the Old Testament to connect us to the New Testament. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, definitely a gospel chapter, talks about how all of that was according to the Scriptures. What does that mean? Well, it means that all of it goes back to the Old Testament, right? That's the only Scriptures he had. And so when we look at it being according to the Scriptures, we say the Old Testament connects us to the New. Everything that happened up to this point was pointing to this point. Now, John is particularly interested in connecting the Old Testament festival or feasts with the New Testament. Maybe you've noticed this as well. It's very interesting how he does this. You can read through his gospel sometime and you can see how he connects these feasts and festivals with the person of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 2, it's the temple. In John chapter 5, it's the Sabbath. In John chapter 6, it's the Passover. In John chapters 7 through 10, it's the Feast of the Tabernacles. Also in John chapter 10, it's the Feast of the Dedication. It's really neat that in John chapter 8, we find that statement Jesus makes of, I am the light of the world. What is going on around him as he makes this statement? Well, what is happening is he is in the temple, he is teaching. As a rabbi, he is about to sit down and teach. And know that when a rabbi sat down to teach, it meant that he was going to give the essence, the whole of his teaching. And so he sits down to teach, and going on around him in the court of women within the temple was a lot of commotion. This was a good way to get an audience. And it was during the Feast of Tabernacles or booths when he was teaching. And during this feast, four huge candelabra were lit and the light emanating from them was so great that it would fill every courtyard in Jerusalem. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is saying, look, these candelabra can give off a lot of light. They are radiant, but they're going to flicker and die. I don't. I am the light of the world and I'm going to light this place until I return. That's what was going on at the time. Read through the Gospels. Once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. It's everywhere. You look at this and you see the story-to-story -story approach that the Gospel writers used. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they perfectly illustrate why these books are called the Gospel in the first place. Here's something else that's important to understand when reading through the Gospel of John, and that is the Gospel of John has a major theme of glory or glorification. That is a major theme throughout this gospel. And you find this theme weaving its way all throughout like a thread. The fact that Jesus is going to be glorified or lifted up. That's rather interesting when you think about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to be executed like a common criminal, yet he's going to be glorified or lifted up. And we see this in John chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. It says, Therefore, when he, Judas Iscariot, had gone out. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. 
So the son would be glorified by lovingly following God's will and purpose for his life. But this glory wasn't selfish. God isn't going to be the only one glorified. Jesus isn't going to be the only one glorified. Who else will be glorified? Take a guess. You and me, right? John 17, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. In other words, we're all going to share in the Messiah's glory. Christ has made it possible for us to be seated with him, with the heavenly father in the heavenly places. And you consider all of that in light of what we read a moment ago in John chapter one and verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw what? His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. God says, we saw his glory. John says, we saw his glory. We got a taste of what was to come. The glory of God has come down out of heaven, and it has come in the form and person of Jesus Christ. He came to dwell. The word dwelt there just means to live in a tent or a tabernacle. And it refers to God's dwelling among his people, as he had done in the Old Testament. The prophets had promised that God would once again make his glory visible to man. And through Christ, God made himself known in a way that he never had before. Remember in John chapter 2, when Jesus turns over the tables of the money changers, he's, he's very irritated, agitated, angry, because they were selling oxen and sheep and doves in the temple. And so he turns over their tables and they ask him, what, what right do you have to do this? What authority do you have to do this? And Jesus says, tear down this temple and I'll build it back. I'll raise it back up in three days. And they're perplexed. It took them 46 years to build the temple. How are you going to build it back in three days? But Jesus, of course, was talking about himself, wasn't he? That he was going to raise himself up after they tore him down. He takes the place of the temple in a very real sense. God dwells in the midst of his people in the person of Christ, which is a visible expression of the glory of God. Isn't that beautiful? You think about this. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had pure, unadulterated worship. They had the relationship that we all long for with God. They were there with him in the garden. The glory of God dwelled in paradise with mankind. And of course, sin ruled all, uh, ruined all of that. And since that time, God has been on a rescue mission to redeem humanity from the fall of man. So after Eden, the glory of God chose to dwell or tabernacle in the tabernacle, right? Notice Exodus chapter 40, starting in verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel." The tabernacle was most definitely the place where God's glory was shown. But it was also a prophetic visualization of what was to come, right? Something better was coming. Like the humble exterior of the tent of meeting, Jesus would come. And he would be the temple that the glory of God would fill Humble in appearance, he was God in the flesh, the glory of the Father emanated from him. And let me ask you this, where is this glory found today? Where is the temple today? 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. The glory of God resides in God's holy people. And one day, one day the tabernacle will be permanent again. John 1 and 14 is just foreshadowing of what is to come. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. One day, we will dwell with God for all eternity. With no worry or angst about ever being severed from him. So here's my question for you this morning. I'm sorry if that seemed like an academic exercise, but that's good stuff. If you can't get excited about that, I'm sorry. You may not have a pulse. Check yourself. Here's where I'm going with all this. Has the word become fresh? Yeah, you've read that right. Not has the word become flesh. Has it become fresh in your life? Or has it grown stale? Has it grown old? Has the word stopped with you? Has the word become fresh with us? Because I don't think the word becoming flesh stopped with Jesus. You remember the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25? How do you identify a sheep? Well, they're the ones who gave the hungry something to eat, the thirsty something to drink. You know, they've clothed the naked. What does that mean? That means we're showing the word in the flesh, right? If we're a sheep, we are showing the word in the flesh. James said to not just be a hearer, but be an effectual doer of God's word. What does that mean? Well, that means I put meat on the bones of God's word. Remember the great command and the great commission? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go into all the world. Take the gospel to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. What are you doing when you do those things? The Word's becoming flesh in you, right? What about when Jesus said, love your enemies? What about when he said, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile? What did Jesus mean when he said, Forgive as you've been forgiven. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Is that not the word becoming flesh when you do that? That's exactly what it is. It's not about being a theologian. It's not about being a scholar. Who cares what you know if you're not doing anything with it? It's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. Is the word becoming fresh in your flesh? Are you seeking to live out Jesus' teachings? in a way that he did. Obviously, you can't do the signs that he did, but you don't have to. You have the word of God, right? Paul said, so those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spirits songs, singing with faithfulness in your hearts to God, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And when the word of Christ richly dwells within you, it translates into action. It translates into you doing something with it. 
That's the message. Let your light shine before men in such a way that you what? Glorify the Father who is in heaven. You are lights of glory. Jesus is the light of the world. He says you are the light of the world, which means that you are to be like him in that respect. You are to be someone who shows light by making the word become flesh. Think about this. Suppose that the word of God can exist, desires to exist, and needs to exist in your flesh, my flesh. The same, to the same extent as it did in Jesus. If the goal is to be like Christ, then wouldn't that mean that the Word should be living and active in the flesh of you and me? There is a uh, Chinese restaurant here in town over on South First that I used to frequent a lot. I would take my kids there. They liked it because it had this uh, koi pond. I don't know if it still does. I hadn't been there in a while. But this koi pond had, had elaborate landscaping. It was beautiful. It had this bridge that goes over it. And the kids would go out there and they would look at the big fish in there. I learned from uh, someone that uh, took care of that koi pond that it was very high maintenance. Apparently, koi ponds take a lot of care and attention. You've got to monitor the oxygen and nitrate levels, the ammonia content. Of course, you've got to feed the fish. I mean, it's, it's an elaborate undertaking if you're going to have a koi pond. You would think that because of all the time and the care and the maintenance that the owner goes through to make sure those koi are taken care of, those fish are taken care of, you would think that the fish would be so appreciative, right? That they would just, if they could, jump out of the water and, and, and hug them with their fins, but they don't. In fact, when the owner shows up to feed them, they dart off. Scared to death. Because that owner is like a god to them, right? Too big to get close to. Too scary to come near. And the only way that owner is going to change the mind of the fish is to do what? To become a fish, right? And that's probably not happening. If he became a fish, he might could communicate to them, I'm not here to hurt you, I'm just here to help you, right? Are you picking up what I'm throwing down? You see what I'm getting at? God stepped out of the picture frame in the form of Jesus. He took on flesh to show humanity what God looks like. That He's not some big scary being, but that we can actually draw near. That we can have access to the Father. The Word walked around. Isn't that amazing? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why did the Word become flesh and dwell among us? Well, I think that's a multi-layered answer, but I think it can be summed up in John's Gospel with these words. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. God said, can I have a word with you? And that word with you is a person. Jesus Christ. Let's keep this word that became flesh, fresh. Do you have a need this morning we can help you with? You need prayers? You want to study the Bible with someone? Maybe you're ready to obey the gospel. I don't know what your need is, but I know this is a loving family that wants to help you in any way that we can. David's going to lead us in a song. If you want to come, 
and ask for prayers or whatever your need may be, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?